0: Samuel chapter 16, at the end of chapter 15, King Saul is told by Shmuel that the kingship is torn away from you and given to your friend who is better than you, at the end of chapter 15. And the story is that at the end of chapter 15, verse number 27, Vayisov Shmuel ha As Samuel turned to leave, he seized the corner of his robe and it tore. And then the question, of course, is who is the he? The plainest reading, I think, and the most plausible, is that Samuel was turning around to leave and Saul is sort of grabbing at Samuel. And he grabs, maybe wants to hold Samuel back, but instead of holding Samuel back, he grabs onto Samuel's coat and the coat tears. That's certainly a plausible reading of the text. And Samuel says to Saul, God has torn the kingship away from you and given it to your friend who is better than you. That's verse number 28. If this is true, then there's something very interesting about this scenario and that is that what represents the kingship of Saul being torn away from him is the torn coat of Samuel. Why should the torn coat of Samuel represent the fact that Saul has lost the kingship? And I think a way to understand it is to understand that the kingship of Saul involves Samuel. Whatever God's intentions were in terms of Samuel's involvement, certainly Samuel was requested, Samuel is involved in the process, and Samuel sees himself as continuing to be involved in Saul's kingship, Wait for me for seven days, I will tell you what to do. So there's some kind of, from Samuel's perspective, and perhaps from the text perspective as well, some kind of a shared kingship. The moment Saul is out, Samuel is out, the next king will not be a king who shares the power with anybody else. The next king will be the autonomous king. We move in the book from the priesthood, to the prophet alone, to the prophet plus king, and now we move to king. There will be a prophet to correct the king, but the prophet will not be involved in decisions made before the fact. The prophet will sometimes come into the situation after the fact. And perhaps it's for this reason, as we start chapter 16, el How long will you mourn for Saul, says God to Samuel? I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil, set out, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I have decided on one of his sons to be king. Literally, I have seen one of his sons to be king. God doesn't say which son. God hides that from Samuel. But what does it mean how long will you mourn for Saul? And the verse suggests, first of all, that Samuel and Saul have a deep connection. Saul can be seen as Samuel's disciple, Samuel's pupil. Samuel was unhappy with his pupil. It's a discipleship that doesn't work well. It's a failure. On the other hand, perhaps... Samuel intuits that the next king will be different. At this king at least, Samuel had a say in directing Saul, in decision making. But the next king will be one presumably with whom Samuel has no connection. So therefore Samuel is mourning Saul and Samuel doesn't truly want to anoint the next king. And that's clear from the continuation of the story in the second verse of chapter sixteen. How can I go, says Samuel? So will find out and kill me. This doesn't seem in keeping with the image of Samuel that we have encountered so far in this book. A man afraid to go, worried about his own safety. Lizboach Lashem Bati. God says, don't worry about it. Take with you a a bakar. Take with you a heifer. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now God is not actually telling Samuel to lie. Because what is interesting in this book is that the coronation of the king comes together with sacrifice. In fact, the first time Samuel and Saul meet, it's at the... uh, The meeting takes place at the sacrificial meal that Samuel heads. David will be anointed in the context of a sacrificial meal. Avshalom goes to Hebron, says to his father later on, I'm going to bring sacrifices. And we know in the beginning of the book of Kings that David's son Adonijah ben Chagit who declares himself king, does so at a sacrificial meal. So it's not actually an untruth. It's it's not the whole truth. (coughs) So God says, don't worry about it. Just if they question you, you've come to bring a sacrifice. The text does certainly suggest to us the unwillingness of Samuel to anoint someone else. And as our story continues in chapter 16... And God instructs Shmuel to invite Yishai to the sacrificial meal. And I will tell you what to do. It reminds what Samuel said to Saul. Wait for me for seven days and I will tell you what to do. Now God says to Samuel, you wait for me to tell you what to do. And you will anoint for me, the one that I want. These verses do not suggest, by the way, that God is opposed to kingship. So Shmuel does what God tells Shmuel to do. He goes to Beit Lechet. And the people of the town tremble to meet him. In other words, there is a concern that he might be doing something that King Saul doesn't like. You come in peace? Yes, I come in peace. I came to bring a sacrifice. And he invites Yishai and his sons to the sacrifice. Now, verse six. as they entered the house, He saw Eliyov. Eliyov is the oldest son of Yishai, Jesse's oldest son. and Samuel said, probably to himself, Achneged Hashem the anointed of God stands before him, stands before God. He presumes Eliyov to be the future king of Israel. Hashem Don't look at his appearance and his height. I have rejected him. Not as the human sees. The human sees the superficial, what can be seen with the eyes, the external. Only God can see the inner person. That's a very interesting verse. In light of what we had at the end, of the previous chapter the previous chapter Shmuel speaks to Sha'ul and Shmuel says to Sha'ul that God has rejected you as king and in verse 29 the eternal of Israel referring to God does not lie Nor does God regret, nor does God change God's mind. God is not the human who changes his mind. So Shemuel says the kingship is torn away from you and it's not going to change. God will not regret. God is not a human who changes, human beings change their mind. God does not change God's mind. Now apart from the fact that chapter 15 Virtually begins by God saying to Shmuel, I regret that I appointed Saul as king. The last verse of chapter 15 is, But God regretted that God had made Saul king over Israel. So apparently, the text of chapter 15 suggests that God does change God's mind. And in fact, we know from the Torah the Torah said in the beginning of the Torah, creation. God regretted creation. Hashem, In Genesis chapter 6, God regretted. God does seem to regret. God is represented in the biblical text as regretting. That's one question. But putting that aside, what's interesting is that Samuel lectures Saul about the difference between the human being and God. Let me tell you, my son, the difference between God and the human. That's the lecture that Samuel gives to Saul in chapter 15. And now, Saul, Samuel walks into the house, sees Eliyav, and says, ah, the anointed of God stands before God. And God says to Shmuel, no. al You are a human being who only sees the external. But God is different. God sees Larevav. God makes a distinction here between the human and the divine. Samuel, you are a human. And it's, of course, very striking that earlier in the book, the chapter 9, the book of Shmuel says what nowadays we call a prophet, the Navi, was once called the Ro'eh. And in that story, Saul is looking for the Ro'eh. Have you seen the Ro'eh? Saul says when he walks into the town, he's talking to Samuel, I am the seer, I am the one who sees. It turns out, though, that the seer, that the one who sees, can't see. The one who sees always sees the superficial. What he sees is a big, tall somebody. What he sees is another Saul. And God says, no, I've already rejected Saul and those like Saul. I rejected the superficial. We are also reminded of what Shmuel said to Shaul when after seven days waiting, Samuel didn't come and Saul brought the sacrifice. God seeks one after God's own heart. And now we have a play on that. Only God can see what is inside the person. The human being sees superficially. Only God sees La We So it may be true that God seeks one after God's own heart, but do you actually know what's inside the heart of the other person? Can we humans understand that? So the air, Shmuel Horo in this chapter, is one who can't see. I have suggested in the past, and I'll mention it now in conclusion that the very fact that Samuel tries to control Saul, that Samuel tries to manipulate Saul, that Samuel tries to undercut the kingship of Saul, when you try to control the other person, when you try to make space for yourself or for your children, one of the effects of that is you stop seeing, you stop perceiving. We have the tragedy here of the great seer who cannot see, who sees like many people see. Only God can see what is inside the person.